ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. Um, uh, I can't have trouble reading this. Reuters, uh, Natanja Bose. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu. You'll save 10 bucks off Blaze TV. If you're watching on YouTube, take a moment, like the video, do it right now. We'd appreciate it. Also, follow the show. I think we're going to do a Q&A this week. And if you click the bell, it will alert you when that starts. You can get a live Q&A. Any of your election questions you want to get in, we'll uh, let you know when that's coming up. Laura Shin is going to be here to break down the crazy FTX crypto implosion. Donald Trump's big announcement is tonight. Is it going to be what we think it is? Or will it be more related to pancakes or uh, muffins. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe he's got a new, maybe Trump muffins are coming. Who knows? But we start by doing election 2022 lessons learned. What have we learned? Well, first of all, let's ask, uh, look at what we've learned in the last 24 hours, which is the media has called the race in Arizona against Carrie Lake. Katie Hobbs, who defied Trump in Arizona, tops Carrie Lake for governor. Mrs. Hobbs, Mrs. Hobbs, sorry, uh, Arizona's Secretary of State narrowly defeated Ms. Lake, a former newscaster whose campaign was built on lies about the 2020 election. This is, of course, how Carrie Lake has been presented the entire time, despite that she's talked about a lot of other things. Uh, really, I don't think she based her campaign on it, uh, although she became famous uh, early on in the, in the election as a newscaster, uh, kind of nationally because of that topic. Carrie Lake tweeted, as it was being called, Arizonans know BS when they see it. Now, it's important to understand that Carrie Lake, as a candidate, has every single right to look at every single irregularity she can find and to put that through the legal process. Every candidate has that right, whether the Republican or Democrat. There are a lot of processes to go through to try to prove this. Now, of course, it's difficult. It's difficult to prove. Uh, but she has every opportunity and every uh, right to be able to go and question things if she finds evidence that something uh, irregular happened. If there were, were shenanigans, she should absolutely go after them and try to prove those shenanigans. Uh, that is 100 percent her right as a candidate. We will see what happens. Uh, there are still more votes to be counted, and I'm sure there will probably maybe be a recount. We'll see how that goes. But I will say this, looking at the data and looking at these races that surround it, if it is a steal, it's a pretty weird steal. There's just a, there's some very strange things that you might look at here. Carrie Lake, when the race was called against Carrie Lake, for example, the same day, they called two key congressional districts inside of Arizona as well. Those two districts, key to the Republicans getting the House, which it does look like they will get, without them, they might not get the House. Those two, those two House races in Arizona were called for Republicans on the same day as it was called against Carrie Lake. And you might say, well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they just really don't like Carrie Lake and they were just, you know, going after her. We'll see if there's if there's evidence of that. We will see. Uh, she's a, quite a candidate and someone who I think is an impressive person and probably going to be a star going forward, whether she wins or loses here politically. So maybe she was a target, but it's a weird thing to do. I mean, obviously, the Democrats really wanted control of the government again. They really wanted to have the House and the Senate together so they could pass another five, ten trillion dollars worth of spending. So the fact that they would take the race from the governor, but still give up these two Arizona House races on the same day is 
it's weird. It's, it's certainly a weird effort if that's actually what happened. And we saw the same thing kind of go on in Nevada. Now, in Arizona, Republicans were way behind. Uh, um, Carrie Lake was way behind as well as Blake Last- Masters. And as the vote was counted, they slowly caught up until it was very, very close for Carrie Lake. In Nevada, it was the opposite. The Republican was leading. And slowly it chipped away, and then eventually Adam Laxalt uh, fell behind and lost that race. However, again, it's just, it's a weird steal because the governor over in Nevada, Lombardo, wound up winning that race and, and, and knocking off the Democrat. Again, it's kind of a strange way to do it if you're stealing an election. I, you know, look, we all hope that that isn't what's, what's happening, and we'll have to look to see uh, uh, about what the evidence is on that. But it, there's a lot to point to that it doesn't quite make sense. I mean, if you wanted to steal this election, and, I, I, and looking at this, I've been looking at these House races every single day. It's important to note that all you needed to do for the Democrats to win the House were take a couple of close districts in places like Arizona, California, and New York. Like, I mean, if the machine was going there, you certainly could pick off a few districts that are pretty close anyway. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Uh, maybe there'll be something more to that story as we go. It's important, though, that once you get past the actual legal process, that you look forward. You can't just continually look back. And that was one of the messages that we saw, I think, through this election process. A lot of candidates that were looking back at the 2020 election didn't fare that well. And I think part of this is we all know that if an election's stolen, it's a massively huge deal. It's one of the biggest stories of all time. And of course, you have to talk about it and you have to try to fix it. But if the American people sense that you're looking backward and not forward, they don't treat that behavior all that well. Uh, we remember, of course, going to uh, in 2016, you looked at the Democrats who were complaining about the election being stolen. And it was, I, I think, just dismissed by a ton of people who didn't buy into that. Many of them didn't even like Donald Trump, but they're like, he's not a Russian asset. It just was silly. And I think a lot of times that's how people see it. They see it as a sports fan who is complaining about the refs. And this is key in my heart today, because I will say as a man who is an Eagles fan and watched that Monday night football game last night, I really want to complain about the refs today. But you can't just complain about that refs. That can't be your entire strategy. We don't want to be the Democrats in 2016. If you watch the story, uh, the game last night, uh, Commanders hand Eagles first loss of season and wild NFC East upset. And it was just one of those games where every freaking thing went wrong. And I was screaming at television and rolling around on the floor and scaring my children. And it's just, it's just what happens when the Eagles lose. And I can't help it. I try to help it, but I can't help it. And they never hear me, no matter how loud I yell. They never change the calls. They never do it. Now, in this game, there were some, there were a wide agreement. There's some bad calls in this game. Now, did it cost them the game? We'll get to that here in a second. Here's a, here's a, a screenshot of, of what it looked like. This is one of the big plays in the game when Dallas Goddard fumbled the ball uh, with an obvious face mask. I mean, they almost ripped the guy's head off. <laughs> I'm surprised he's still walking around. He's not walking around like the headless horseman today. Uh, but uh, that was a key play. Uh, another play at the very end of the game, there was a roughing the passer call that was, you know, maybe the right call, but really, really weak and cost uh, the Eagles a final chance to win the game. Blah, 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 blah. But don't listen to me, some jaded Eagles fan who just thinks everything goes wrong all the time. I want you to listen to the way that Jalen Hurts, the Eagles quarterback, dealt with this when asked about the call. And again, no one's questioning whether this was a bad call. It was, 
But listen to what he said when he was asked about it in the postgame press conference. Did you get a good look at the play with the Dallas public ball and apparently it was a face mask mask? Yeah, you know, we can we can go all day for um we can go all day about that, you know, I think in reality, I think um in the end it's about us doing the things that we can, um and controlling the things that we can and uh, I think tonight we, we weren't we weren't doing that at a high level, you know, and today it got us. You know, and it it doesn't get you until it gets you and today it got us. So, you know, we, we learn from it, we move forward. Ultimately, it's your responsibility as a player to win the game, and you have to deal sometimes with some bad calls, even calls that are definitely wrong. Now, of course, you can go and try to change these rules, like maybe they change it so the replay can catch something like that, and I'm not you know, rolling around on the floor at midnight uh, screaming at the television. That would be nice. You, of course, work to change those rules, but you can't just sit here and complain about things that happened in the past. You have to be able, once you go through the process, to move on and ideally put yourself in a position where the refs can't screw the game up for you. The Eagles have won most of their other games in blowouts. If they had bad calls in those games, it wouldn't have made much of a difference because they still would have won by a touchdown or two here they played poorly they made silly mistakes things went the wrong way bad bounces all the things that add up to a loss and if you don't put yourself with enough distance between uh, yourself and, and your opponent these things can bite you so what do we learn when we're looking at all these races across the country we did see some different things and i think that all kind of line up under one banner we all know Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a, is a major figure in politics, but that's not all he is. Donald Trump was a major figure in all of our lives for many, many decades, from being just a real estate tycoon to being in all the tabloids uh, to being in Home Alone 2 uh, to uh, the, the Apprentice. He's a guy who had a huge profile. Uh, he was known for decades and decades and decades for being a very competent business person, a very competent speaker, a, a no-nonsense guy. That's how he got the gig at The Apprentice, right? That's how he was known before that show even started. And what I think Republicans keep trying to do is they say, well, we're going to put MAGA candidates out there. Well, what are MAGA candidates? Uh, okay, candidates that agree with Donald Trump. Okay, sure, that's part of it. But Maybe we just need to stop and think for a second. Maybe Donald Trump is just unique. I mean, I know that's not a shocking thing to say. I don't think there's a lot of Donald Trumps out there. But, you know, Donald Trump is more than just a collection of positions. He's more than just fighting back, quote unquote. He's a lot more than that. He's a guy that's been within our lives for decades. He's one of the most well-known public figures in America. And, you know, I got to say that that's not easy to replicate. Even when they try to replicate it with people like Herschel Walker or Dr. Oz, doesn't seem to work all that well. Uh, when you try, you, you know, Donald Trump can take the news cycle, take it by the collar and rip it over to wherever he wants it to be. Doug Mastriano can't do that. There's just I don't know that there's enough there to, to, to make us believe that anyone can replicate the things that Donald Trump has done. Here's a you know, this is kind of what viral today uh, from an NBC News reporter, this tweet. And it goes through not. Yes, you could do this in, the, in some, some of these bright red states. But look at the swing states and what happened with the major endorsements Donald Trump made in the Senate. Um, Masters lost. Oz lost. Ron Johnson won, but he was a two time incumbent. Uh, Adam Laxalt lost. Uh, uh, Herschel Walker going to runoff. We hope for a win. Don Bolduck lost. When it comes to, uh, sec let's see, uh, governors, Carrie Lake looks like she's going to lose. Mastriano lost. Michelle's lost. Uh, Dixon lost. Lombardo won in Nevada. That's the one we just, we just talked about. 
And David Perdue, who was nominated in the primary, wound up losing, of course. Kemp did wind up winning in Georgia. Secretary of State, Fincham, Caramo, um, Marchant, and Heiss, all losses. You know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, you know, you can, because you can look, he, he did get a lot of people who, uh, who did wind up winning, but they were largely incumbents in bright red uh, uh, districts that probably would have won anyway. And it's not that Donald Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Of course, he knows politics really well, but maybe he, you know, you see this sometimes where really good players in the NFL don't become good coaches. That might be what is going on here. And I think it's important if you want to win and you want to get control uh, which is only one of the goals, to be clear, but it's, it's an important goal. You need to understand that different tools are, exist for different jobs. You don't use the same tool for every job. And I think what Republicans got caught up with in this particular election were using the incorrect tools in some of the different places where they were not uh, appropriate. Arizona is an example here. A lot of people are saying, well, Carrie Lake was a great candidate and Carrie Lake is an incredibly talented politician and personality. She really is. And, you know, there's something to be said there. But think about Arizona for a second and think about the Republicans that have been successful in Arizona. You're talking about people like John McCain. You're talking about people like Jeff Flake. You're talking about people like Doug Ducey. Now, Ducey has been a pretty popular governor in Arizona. And if he were running for re-election or if he were the Senate candidate, he probably wins that race pretty easily. But he's more of a traditional Republican. Uh, you know, Jeff Flake was really good on financial stuff, but really bad on a lot of other stuff. McCain, you know, John McCain, not my favorite guy, but he was really popular there. And so you have to target your candidates, the bright tools for the right job. Um, you know, uh, the, the GOP treasurer, who was an incumbent, kind of a boring Republican, did much better than Carrie Lake, not because she's more talented than Carrie Lake as a personality or politician, but because the media did something that we all, are, all understand and recognize, and it's why we all fight about it. We all fight back against the unfair treatment that people like Carrie Lake get, that people like Donald Trump get. And the reason we fight back against it is because we know at some level, some people are gonna fall for it. It's going to be effective. When Carrie Lake gets beat up for six months for being you know, essentially Satan-esque, that's going to have some level of uh, impact. And unfortunately, it may be enough to not have her win that particular race. Sometimes the boring old school Republicans that maybe are good on, you know, the economy and not so in the middle of the culture war can win. And, and that just might be the right thing. Susan Collins might be the best you can get uh, in, in, uh, in Maine. I don't know. It doesn't seem like, uh, you know, the, the Republican candidates have had much luck there other than her. So you have to look at making sure you put the right people in the right states. You should not accept uh, the wrong people uh, in, in, in these districts where they are much more winnable. But when you have a tough district, like, for example, in Michigan, the third district of Michigan, you remember Justin Amash, libertarian Republican, fantastic voting record when it comes to fiscal issues and, and those types of matters, but was not a Donald Trump fan, not particularly popular, popular among the base. He could have probably won re-election in a general election, but decided not even to try and bailed out of the race. He was replaced by Peter Meyer, who was kind of another Republican uh, who was much more libertarian leaning. He went through that process. He uh, was he won. Uh, his race in a, in a close district um, and then wound up voting for the uh, impeachment of Donald Trump. Well, they primaried him with someone named uh, John Biggs. Now, he might be more in line with Donald Trump. Biggs it was a big target for him. But then look at the results of what happened in this district. Uh, Hillary Schloten, 
uh, beat John Gibbs by a final of 55 to 42. Again, this is in a Republican-leaning year where the Republicans took the House and they took a seat that they had and lost it by 14 points. you got to have the right tools for the right job. And over time, you work hard to change people's minds and hopefully win them over so that you can get someone even more conservative later. And finally, I think one thing that we've learned is to make sure you're fighting the right battles. Sometimes we put the wrong candidates in the wrong races and end up with the wrong results. But there are other things that can be done. And let me give you one of them right now. Okay, let me give you one of them to think about for the next couple of years here. Okay, get excited for this one. Are you ready? Let me show you a guy who did win. This past election, Mike Lee, Mike Lee won by, I think, 14 points over Evan McMullen in his race against. And it was a tough race. Democrats poured money into an uh, independent. They didn't even run a Democrat because they knew how red of a state this was. They'd never go for a Democrat. So they put Mike Lee up against an independent. That what you're seeing there is his conservative review score. He's the number one senator in the Senate for a conservative review score, a 94 percent and a rating. Who's the other senator in Utah? Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney has a 52% rating on conservative review. In 2024, Mitt Romney is up for re-election in a state that basically any Republican who gets the nomination is going to win. Romney has tons and tons and tons of power in the state. I understand that. But this is the type of person that you could primary change the Senate in a huge way without any risk. Get somebody who's really competent and conservative and a constitutionalist to take the role of Mitt Romney, who is going to sit there and do tons of things you don't like. There's no reason to put up with Mitt Romney in Utah, just like there's no reason to put up with John Cornyn in Texas. Pick the right battles. That's a big lesson that we can learn from this particular election. We'll get into more of that and all the election buzz on the presidential side coming up in just a couple of minutes. With the holiday season just around the corner, it's a perfect time to plan ahead with Factor. Yes, it's a ready-to-eat meal delivery. They shop, prep, cook, and deliver to your door so you can eat uh, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals during the holidays. And look, there's lots of stuff I could tell you about Factor meals. What I'm going to tell you is that I eat them like every single day. In fact, everybody in my family eats these things every single day. There's a bunch of different dietary things you can put in there. You can get vegetarian stuff. You can get keto stuff. You can get whatever you want. They're all delicious. They're made way better. I can't cook them. I can't make them like this. When I try to do this stuff, it sucks. And it takes two hours. This takes um, two minutes and 40 seconds in the microwave. They're all made fresh foods, much better than the chicken nuggets I used to to give the kids all the time. And the kids love them. They don't even ask for specific things. They ask for factor meals. Uh, They're fantastic. I can't say enough about them. Uh, And you can choose your order, uh, change your order every week. They're really customizable. They do a great job being able, if you don't like something, you can take it out. Out, whatever. It's fantastic. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep anybody ener- energized during a frantic holiday season. Go to, uh, here's that website, get ready for it, prepare yourself, uh, go.factor75.com slash America60. Use the code America60. You'll get 60% off your first box. It's a complicated address, but for 60% off, you should try it. Uh, that's uh, code is America60 at go.factor75.com slash America60. Get 60% off your first box. It's worth it, believe me. 
I'm happy to welcome Laura Shin back to the program. She's a crypto journalist and author of The Cryptopians, a great book, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze about the founding of Ethereum. And also the host of the Unchained podcast, which you should definitely subscribe to uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Laura, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Nice to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming back on. I wanted to have you on because not only do you know about all of this stuff better than anybody else, but also you've talked to like all of the people involved in FTX directly. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of get uh, your take on those conversations. But can you kind of start us here with for people who don't know, who have not followed the story, don't understand it. Can you kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of what actually happened here? Yeah, so Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder and CEO of FTX, or I should say at this point, ex-CEO, um, he uh, had two, uh, two, two companies. One was the trading firm, which was called Alameda Research, and then the other was this crypto exchange, FTX. And essentially what happened at some point, and people are still trying to figure out you know, all the facts here, but apparently the trading firm, um, Alameda Research, must have um, gotten itself into some kind of hole. And so um, people may know that this summer there were a number of uh, insolvencies and bankruptcies in crypto. And um, it appears that at some point, you know, some entities that they made loans to were not able to pay those back. And there, you know, came some moment, I guess, where Sam you know, face this decision, he could let one of his companies go under, which looking back, many people believe that's what he should have done. Um, but instead what he did, or or some, you know, number of officers decided to take the funds, the customer funds on FTX, which are, you know, crypto assets and, and other types of assets like stable coins or even fiat currencies that its own customers have placed on the exchange. And they took that money and lent uh, about $10 billion worth to Alameda Research. And ultimately what ended up happening was that, um, so in addition, FTX had its own token called FTT. And a couple of weeks ago, one of the crypto publications called Coindesk released the financials of Alameda Research. And it became very clear that this was a very illiquid balance sheet. And it was in fact heavily reliant on this token, FTT, that the exchange had essentially created out of thin air, you know, uh, when, when it launched. And in an ironic twist, the largest rival to FTX was an exchange called Binance. And the head of that CZ or Chengpeng Zhao, he goes by the initial CZ, he had actually invested in FTX when they first launched, but of course, over the years, they became more competitive. And so at a certain point, Sam Bankman fried just bought CZ out of his stake in FTX. And when he did so, part of the payment was made in FTT tokens. So once this report was released about how illiquid the balance sheet was of Alameda and how reliant it was on FTT tokens, which, by the way, the amount that they had was just so much greater than what was even circulating in the market. So it was very clear that, you know, they could never recoup the paper value of the FTT tokens that they were claiming on the balance sheet. And so CZ says, hey, I'm going to sell the $580 million worth of FTT tokens that I have. And, you know, the, these are just like sort of dramatic plot twists. But the CEO of Alameda Research tweeted at him, I'll buy your FTT from you at $22, which 
bad negotiating move because then everybody realizes, okay, this $22 is important to Alameda Research. And CZ says, no, we're, we're going to sell this on the open market. We're not going to do kind of a back room deal. And it looked like, you know, in the beginning that um, FTX and Alameda were maybe able to defend uh, the price a little bit. But then at a certain point, it started to tank and customers became concerned about their assets on the exchange. And so there was this bank run on FTX and um, about five billion dollars worth of crypto assets were being withdrawn from the exchange on one day alone mm. um, two Sundays ago. And then in a dramatic twist of fate, we ended up finding out that FTX was actually insolvent and you know all this came out now about how they lent 10 billion dollars to the sister firm and you know like honestly up until the last minute Sam was tweeting things like FTX is fine your assets are fine things like that he's now deleted those tweets so i think that's why you're seeing these investigations by DOJ SEC CFTC some state regulators state financial regulators so definitely um you know, my guess is they're probably looking at some something criminal um, eventually. But yeah. yeah, that's kind of the short, <laughs> the short version of what is actually just a long story. It really is an incredible story. And, and I, I, you know, it's funny because, you know, look, crypto has lots of ups and lots of downs. You know, you, if you watch it at all, you, you, you see a lot of projects blow up. And I have some grace and sympathy for people trying new and crazy things that might not work. Like, I can understand that. This one's different, though. I mean, you know, Bitcoin goes to 69,000. It comes down to 20,000. There's going to be some problems there. There's some excess exuberance at the high prices that wind up burning people on the way down. But we had been in a, in a period of relative stability with crypto. I mean, it's it, a long period of where Bitcoin was right around 20,000. And that's why, in some ways, it's really surprising that a big firm like this that was buying Super Bowl ads during this calendar year could have these sorts of problems. Yeah, well, actually, you know, what people are kind of piecing together now is it looks like Alameda ran into these problems back at the beginning of that period where we saw this, you know, crypto contagion. Um, it looks actually like most likely they were a counterparty to Voyager, which announced their bankruptcy or, or um, you know, at least uh, started to pause withdrawals in June. And so now when you look on chain, you can actually see, um, I, granted, I had to get this from a blockchain analytics firm, but you can see that the balance of Ether on FTX essentially went negative and an influx of FTT tokens went to FTX. And what that is saying, just to explain to people, is that when FTX lent the customer funds to Alameda, um, Alameda put up collateral, but they put it up in these FTT tokens, which, as we just discussed, they weren't um, super liquid. And of course, if you were to actually try to recoup that paper value on the market, you wouldn't be able to. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it feels like it's across a totally different line of, of criminal activity, at least looking at it from afar. I'm sure we'll learn more. Um, but you've had experience talking. I mean, you, you've had, you know, his uh, SBF's uh, I guess, former girlfriend who is the CEO over at Alameda. You've talked to her. You've talked to many of the big players here. Was it, uh, I mean, did you, was it obvious they didn't know what they were doing? <laughs> what what, what no. was the story here? 
No, I mean, that's why it was such big news in the crypto world, because not only was it that um, Sam Bankman-Fried, who, by the way, people call SBF, not only, you know, did they do the Super Bowl ads, and then he did ads with Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen and Steph Curry and Naomi Osaka. And, you know, he had like Bill Clinton and Tony Blair at his conference. And, um, you know, he just kind of was like hobnobbing with, um, you know, these celebs and like high profile politicians. But then on top of that, he was actually kind of like the face of crypto in DC actually for most of this year. And so what was interesting was that um, in recent months, the story was that kind of long awaited crypto regulation that the industry has been wanting looked like it was actually gonna be close to getting it over the finish line. And a lot of people were crediting the time that Sam had been spending in DC. And, you know, um, to have been essentially, uh, you know, what it looks like at this moment, been perpetrating a fraud for several months, if not even longer than that, while you're also interfacing with lawmakers and regulators on a very regular basis and testifying on Capitol Hill. I mean, it's it's so shocking. And that's why um, what I tweeted was that when I tried to explain the story to my kind of like non-crypto friends, the way I was explaining it was that it was like if the person that you thought was Hermione turned out to be Voldemort, because, you know, you wouldn't expect, yeah, somebody kind of with that goody two shoes um, image with the lawmakers to actually be the person who's committing like what truly is sort of a Theranos level fraud. So um, that's why, yeah, it was it was such a big shock. And oh, and the last bit that I'll just say is um, he and Caroline are both what are called effective altruists. So their philosophy for living life is that they'll um, not only make a lot of money, but but the purpose of making all that money is to do the most good for the most people. And here it is now they, you know, have created these massive losses. A lot of people have lost their life savings. There are hedge funds that have, you know, um, more than one hundred million dollars trapped on the exchange. There are probably going to be businesses that have to close due to this. Um, people, obviously, the whole FTX Alameda crew has lost their jobs. A lot of their own employees, because they believed in the leadership, had their own assets on the exchange. And now, if the bankruptcy proceedings go as people you know, expect, which is meaning like any typical bankruptcy, it will be close to 10 years before all this is resolved. And people, at the end, I mean, granted, who knows? There are certain weird um, pathways in which they could be made whole. But at the moment, it looks like they're just going to get pennies on the dollar. So mm. shocking all around. And frankly, the the last bit I'll say is, you know, SBF is, um, he's been kind of tweet uh, tweeting at the community in this sort of troll-ish way. And to do it without sort of this recognition of the pain that he's caused people, I mean, it's really... Um, it's it's just something I think that a lot of people are really um, disturbed by and, and feel is inappropriate. So um, yeah. that's kind of yeah the last coda on that. Yeah, you, you, and you make uh, uh, as far you mentioned Theranos and, and the Elizabeth Holmes story, and it feels so similar to that because you know so often this sort of confluence of of of, of aspects where you have uh, connection to politicians, uh, lots of money, lots of fawning media attention, the new smart guy and new or smart woman in town who's doing all these amazing things and it leads to this to the media building them up into these superheroes and there's never a mea culpa on the other side where the media is like oh by the way we totally missed this i mean it, it is i i think a strange part of the story and also as you mentioned on the social media thing i think it's interesting because this should really tell if you're a ceo if you're running a company why are you tweeting stop tweeting stop doing it uh you because uh, this is a, a in some ways 
a replication of what we just saw with another person. You, as far as I know, are one of the only people who's talked to since the collapse of Terra and Luna, uh, Do Kwan, which was a really fascinating interview. This is the, the last big crypto blow up before this one. Uh, can, you, can you talk about that and how, how that interview came uh, together and what did you learn from it? <laughs> you know what's so funny? I So just to give people a little bit of the background on Do Kwan, he um, created these uh, two coins. They're linked together, and it was uh, sort of this like stablecoin ecosystem. And um, they crashed spectacularly back in May. It was about $60 billion worth of value that was wiped out. Again, it's sort of a paper value kind of thing, you could, you could say. But, you know, people had put real money into it. And because he's a Korean national, the Korean government, um, I don't know, they, they came up with some charges against him. Um, it is true that some crypto lawyers will say things like, oh, um, the laws that they're applying in this situation were never applied to crypto before. And so some of them will say, like, these charges don't seem super legitimate. But leaving that aside, um, he did not answer his arrest warrant. He was living in Singapore at the time. He did not return for his arrest warrant. The South Korean government apparently requested that Interpol put him on what's called the red notice list, which I think, um, you know, gets more po uh, police worldwide to to try to um, track this person down and arrest them. And uh, because the crypto community deemed him to be on the run, even though he denied it, I kind of assumed he wouldn't talk to me. But one day I quote tweeted something he said and he responded to me. So I asked him another question back. He responded again. And, you know, we went back and forth. And so finally, I just slid into his DMs and I said, hey, do you want to come on my show? And he agreed, which, you know, big shocker to me. I don't know why you would do that when you have like Interpol perhaps <laughs> after you. Um, but anyway, he actually spoke to me for 90 minutes. It was kind of crazy. I don't know if he knew what he was in for because, um, you know, first of all, I asked him kind of all these questions about uh, the legal situation he was in. But then I had kind of a long investigative section where I asked about all different kinds of irregularities that different people had flagged that, you know, ex-employees had told me about. I mean, just all kinds of things. And, um, you know, yeah, if he said things where I felt like he was evading the question, I would just push back. And so I like afterward, a, a lot of people said, I don't even know why he went on Laura's show. But, you know, my takeaway is I truly think he possibly thinks he really did nothing wrong. That's maybe the best explanation I can give for that. Yeah, maybe so. I, I, I just kept it when I saw it was he was coming on your show. I was like, I, his attorneys must be going insane. Like, no, <laughs> don't do it. Don't run. Run from Laura. Uh, it's a great interview. If you want to get it, it's on her Unchained uh, podcast with uh, Do Kwan. And also, I mean, all, there's great interviews about FTX and everything else. Uh, it's a great podcast. Make sure you don't miss it. And the book is awesome as well. The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze. There's going to be many, many more stories uh, like this to tell, Laura, and I, I can't wait to hear you tell them. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, except invest in cryptocurrency. That's maybe a tad more stressful these days. But buying or selling a home is probably your biggest investment, right? Like you're thinking about your retirement, what you might hand down to your kids. It's where you're going to live for a long time. And a lot of times we don't spend all that much mental energy trying to figure out who is going to represent us in that transaction. What real estate agent are you using? 
It's really, really important. And that's why we have realestateagentsitrust.com. If you go there, you can find an agent who's been screened, who's gone through a process. We've looked at them to, to see what their uh, background is, what their um, results are. How well do they know the community? How well do they perform in these transactions? You gotta have the best agent around and you gotta have someone on your side if you're buying as well. A lot of people overlook that. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a place to go to find the best real estate agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Donald Trump is going to make a major announcement tonight. Now, by the time you uh, hear this or watch it, maybe he's already made the announcement. And if so, then either take every word I'm about to say for gospel or forget it all. But everyone assumes he's going to run for president. He wants to get it out ahead of it. And there's two ways to look at this. Typically, if you're kind of the big, uh, the big man on campus, you don't necessarily start your campaign early. You sometimes would wait a little bit longer. Uh, although, I, I don't know. In this case, it's a very, very weird case, right? It's, it, he's doing the, I, by the way, I, t- I think he should, totally should have announced this in Cleveland uh, for Grover Cleveland, because uh, he could be the guy who came and was president, then was out for a term and then was back in. Should have done it in Cleveland. Uh, Ohio's a big Trump state. I think it would have worked, but he's doing it at Mar-a-Lago, because why would you leave Mar-a-Lago? frankly. Uh, But he is talking about this. And look, there's going to be a big debate over the next couple of years. They're going to fight that out. Uh, You know, whatever. People, voters are going to be able to choose who they think is best. Uh, We're going to have probably Ron DeSantis in there who won't join for a while. You're also probably going to have Donald Trump in there. Uh, You're also probably going to have a big field. Uh, I've been talking to some uh, political insiders who have been telling me, I mean, I've heard names of six to eight senators so far that are likely in. Not to mention Larry Hogan, who's probably in as well. He changed his profile picture, I think, at one point to uh, having the presidential uh, podium in front of him. He's, and if you don't know who Larry Hogan is, he was a, a very popular governor of Maryland, but, and he was a Republican, but just barely. Like, you no know, one really, you know, he's a very, very moderate to liberal uh, Republican who I don't think has any chance in a primary, but everyone's trying to get their name out there. Everyone's trying to get their book sold. Everyone's trying to raise their profile. So we do expect a bunch of uh, people to jump in. Uh, we'll get into some of those names in the coming weeks. Uh, but Trump going first is a couple of things, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, he gets to continue to raise money in a big way. And once he's running for president, he's going to be the only person in the field of any real note for a while. I mean, Ron DeSantis can't, certainly can't announce now. He can build a very large fundraising advantage. Uh, secondarily, it's going to be hard to go after someone. You know, there's a million investigations on Donald Trump all the time. That's all Democrats do. All they do is investigate Donald Trump. So what do you, you know, are you really going to investigate a, a guy who's running for president that's your opponent? Now, the answer to that, of course, is yes, they absolutely will do it, but it will, I think, come off to people as blatantly partisan uh, as opposed to a guy who's out of power. And, you know, if it, it, would, it would seem to have a little more credibility if it wasn't you were attacking the guy who's currently running against you. So I think it gives a little bit of protection to Trump as well. And, you know, look, he wants to go out and make speeches. He likes campaigning. He likes going out there and, and doing the rallies. So he's going to do a heck of a lot of that. And we get a couple of years to uh, just kind of sort out who's going to be the Republican nominee. Who will the Democratic nominee be? I mean, odds are after that election, If you, you know, we wish everyone good health. If all that happens, it's probably going to be Joe Biden. That's one of the good things about this potential election. With a terrible result for Democrats, likely Joe Biden would have been pushed out and maybe they'd bring someone else in who can speak. In this particular case, because the result was, and I don't want to say it was good. I mean, they lost the House. 
and the Senate is going to be flat or up one seat. It's, this wasn't a miracle, but they did better than expectations were, at least uh, within the, the final few weeks. Remember, if you go back to summer, they're actually underperformed expectations. Everyone was saying they were going to win the Senate easily and maybe win the House. Well, they didn't, they didn't do uh, either of those things, certainly not easily in the Senate. So will Donald Trump uh, be able to win this? Well, look, he enters it as the overwhelming favor. There has been some polling over the past couple of days to suggest that Ron DeSantis is sort of the hot thing right now and maybe he's ahead. But that's it's you know, you got to prove to me in the Republican Party that Donald Trump's going to get beaten in a primary uh, because I'm not going to believe it until it happens. Uh, you know. <laughs> When it happens, that's the time I'll believe it. Uh, right now, you have to consider Donald Trump the overwhelming favorite in, in the, uh, in the, for the nomination. Uh, but Ron DeSantis, I think, with his performance in Florida, remember, we're at the peak of DeSantis mania right now, we're coming off of that election. You know, that probably will cool down. There'll probably be some battling back and forth. The bottom line is he's got a real chance to beat Donald Trump, but Donald Trump still does enter the race if he does so as the uh, overwhelming favorite to take the Republican nomination. When potential mothers enter a preborn pregnancy clinic, they might be leaning toward having an abortion. I'm glad they went to preborn, though, because the majority of mothers who hear their child's heartbeat on ultrasound reverse that decision and choose life instead. Preborn clinics do this with moms all the time. They say, hey, uh, you know, here's ultrasound. They don't charge them for it. Uh, it's an incredible experience. You can sponsor an ultrasound and help make that introduction for just $28. That's it, 28 bucks. Or you can give $140 and be the sponsor of five ultrasounds. Preborn will even match your donation. Our goal here at The Blaze is to save the lives of 50,000 babies with Preborn's help. Will you be able to jump in and join that effort? To donate, dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, pound 250, say the keyword baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash stew, preborn.com slash stew. At the end of the year, uh, you know, you, of course, everyone's doing their tax write-off stuff and trying to figure all that stuff out. Why not use it to save a real human life? Please go to preborn.com slash stew. Wow. I'm watching this video. It's amazing. Just barriers being knocked down. Huge crowds rushing. I'm pretty sure this is video of when the final batch of McRibs was made available. And, <laughs> and look, it's the farewell tour is a big deal. It's going on right now. Make sure to get your last McRib. Uh, no, actually, that's video of uh, what's going on in China right now, where they're still doing this COVID zero thing. This COVID zero policy locking down entire towns whenever somebody gets uh, the sniffles, they're still locking down. Look, there's a lot of things we can complain about this country. At least we didn't go this far. I, I mean, geez, at least we're not them. Thank God. This is a reason to avoid communism, boys and girls. By the way, speaking of communism, um, kind of an issue going on in Russia where a couple of missiles seemingly blew up in Poland that's not good. Two ki people uh, were killed at least. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Now, we're just calling it explosions because we do not want to acknowledge, uh, at least this is my belief, we do not want to acknowledge that a couple of missiles might have landed in Poland because if war begins from Russia to Poland, we very well might be talking World War II tomorrow instead of Donald Trump's announcement. Uh, that is a big, big deal. It's a NATO country, and we would 
be under treaty to get involved in that situation. We really, I mean, it could just be a couple of missiles that were misfired and, you know, it was a mistake and hopefully cooler heads will prevail. But gosh, man, this thing could escalate quickly. Let's hope that it doesn't. I'll let you know I'm uh, getting too old for power hours. Okay, too old for them. I can't handle them. I have no tolerance for alcohol anymore. And uh, frankly, they wind up in disaster almost every time. So join us. It's coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks. The date is almost secured. We don't have it quite yet, but get on the list. We'll give you all the information when it happens. The 2022 Christmas party power hour going to be a blast until later that evening when I'm in hell. But uh, it's going to be fun for you to watch. And you can join us here. Uh, Go to studospowerhour.com. You can join us in studio. What a way to kick off the holiday season. Uh, StuDoesPowerHour.com. StuDoesPowerHour.com. We'll see you tomorrow.